Today we'll be continuing in the letter of John, the first letter of John, as we've been preaching for a while now. We'll be preaching out of 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. So hear this word from 1 John chapter 5, 6 through 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a very straightforward passage, right? About water, blood, spirit, you all get it? Just kidding. We're going to get into that. All right. I am, when I was out of school, I interned, well, I was a fellow at Trinity Church in Charlottesville, and I interned at a law office. It was an estate firm. It was called Virginia Wills Trusts and Estates. And one of my jobs was to draft estate documents. So wills, trust documents, these sorts of things. And is In some ways, it was kind of boring because you have a pretty standard format when you have legal documents. You kind of have to go through and make sure. But it also has to be very intricate because you have to make sure you are using the right language. Um, Some of you were nodding your head, you know, right? But it was also a very intimate thing. I got to sit in with the lawyer who I worked for at times. And some of you have known you've dealt with estates of your parents or relatives. And it's an intimate thing to sit and think about death suffering and money and what are you going to do with it and how much is someone going to take and to sit and write all that out on paper it's rather sobering and so it was this intimate yet very important work and very impactful work because what was written in the will was the authority what it said was what was going to happen And as I read this passage, 
I'm struck about this language of testimony. You've seen or heard or in a movie or experienced, it's called a last will and testament. God has given us a testament. God has given us a testament. He has written his will, his testament in his son to give an inheritance to whom he has named and he has given witnesses. And so we ask the question, will you receive it? Like one of those old movies where it's like almost a predictable plot. You go in and someone's like, well, I've called you in because a distant great aunt has left you $5 billion. And you're like, I don't know who that is, right? But it's here on the paper. This is not a distant relative. This is God your father, and he has left you and gives you an inheritance through Jesus Christ, will you believe him and receive what he intends to give you? That's our question for this morning. Let's get into this. Right? A testament, a last will and testament, first requires a testator. Right? A testator is the one who is the one actually giving the inheritance who is, who is the author there of the will, right? And that here is God, right? We read God, the testimony of God is greater. God, that he has borne testimony. God is the one, the creator of all things, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, as we said in the creed. And his inheritance, his estate, is everything. And he intends to bring his people into his estate. Not in a state of sin and misery in which we have fallen, but in a state of grace and blessing and abundance and eternal life. That's what God is promising. That's the inheritance. He is a father. He's our true father, whether we've known him or not or been estranged from him, right? He has left us a testament that says, come back to me, child, and receive what I have been storing up for you. You have received a word from your father whose estate is eternity, and he is giving it to you. That's the image we have here. But instead of getting like a notification or a summons in the mail or having like a, you know, an old British lawyer with glasses, right? The testament is not an old document. In fact, did you read this? The testament's not even a written document at all. What is the testament? The wind keeps blowing my page here. The testament is Jesus Christ. It puts a new meaning to what we mean when the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The will of God was manifest in Jesus Christ. Do you see what we're saying? The word, the authoritative written will and testament of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. He does not send you a paper. He sent you a person. 
to look at you, to summon you, and say the will of God is written on my heart and I bring it to you and speak it to you. His welcome is the authority of God's testament. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the appointed one, the authoritative word. He has all that the Father has. That's what he's praying constantly as we read through the Gospels, right? All that the Father has is mine, right? He's not like a servant who's like, oh yeah, it's over there, trust me. He's like, no, all that the Father has, I have. There's no intermediary that we have to go through. I have what the Father has. And he not only intends to give it to you, but we read constantly, he gave himself up for us. What does Paul exclaim in many a place, but in Galatians where he says, and now I have been crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith by trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's not only coming to give all that the Father has, he's giving up himself. He's giving up himself to assure you, to be a pledge, a seal, a guarantee that all that the Father has given to Christ, he intends to give to you, his people. In fact, any obstacle, your unworthiness, your disbelief, any obstacles, your suffering, your affliction, our insecurities, whatever that might cause, our sin that causes us to keep away from the Father, he gave himself to atone for that, to make a way through that. There is no excuse <laughs> and there is no obstacle then to keep us from receiving for the one who is the testament is also the one who makes a way. So Jesus Christ, the living word and will of God is his last testament to mankind that God has an eternal inheritance for us. But when you have a last will and testament, you also need witnesses. Right? I just officiated a wedding. You have to have witnesses. You have a will. You have to have witnesses. If you don't have witnesses, it's not admissible in court. Okay? Because the question is, how do we know that this is authoritative? Who can, who can verify for us that this is the correct word? Right? I mean, how many plots of novels and movies are about a secret will exchange, right? And like, is this really the will of God or is it a fake? Well, God talks about, I've given you witnesses. The water, the blood, the spirit. We don't even just have two witnesses. We have three witnesses. And these three all agree. They've all signed their names. They seal every recipient. They have the same signet. They give the same testimony. Even with a different vantage point, they give the same stand thing on the stand. Okay. Now, what in the world does this mean? We can be honest. 
hearing something say the water, the blood, and the spirit all agree is not maybe self-evident in its meaning, right? Or maybe it is to you. I, I found it a bit confusing in the language, right? And I don't promise to simplify that language for you. John sometimes has esoteric language, and we have to pray and wonder what, the, what he's intending to mean. But I think we can think about it like this. These witnesses are witnessing to the testament of Jesus Christ. The primary issue is whether Jesus himself is the actual testament of God. And there were debates about this, as there are today, about, well, so was Jesus of Nazareth always the Christ? Was he always divine? Was he just, was he just divine? Was he just sealed when he was baptized? Did Christ leave him when he was on the cross? Or was just Jesus the man being crucified? Right? Now, whether we wrestle with these questions on our daily basis or not, these were real questions that were being wondered at the time and about the efficacy of salvation. And what John is saying is that God fully in Jesus. Jesus is always the Christ. There is no Christ but Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Son of God. And he was born. Some of you have seen birth. I've seen birth. There's water and blood, right? He was born. He had the Spirit before he was born. We read that every Christmas. He was baptized. He didn't just become the Son of God at baptism. He went through it to be with his people. He really suffered and died. The blood that was shed in his murder, his execution, his crucifixion, was really the blood of Christ, the blood of the Son of God. And he really is the one who was resurrected and whom we testify to you as we heard at the beginning of the service. But it's not only that these witnesses were bearing witness to Jesus. They also bear witness to Jesus, of Jesus, to us. We who come to know Jesus, who want to follow Jesus, who are wondering how to follow Jesus, what must we do? We must believe and be baptized. To be baptized is to be plunged into his death and raised up into his life. The waters of baptism are a witness to us, a real seal of what is signified. When we participate in the supper, when we come together and have the bread and drink the wine, we are remembering his death, his atoning sacrifice through his body and his blood. We participate not only in the water, but in the blood. These are our sacraments. And we believe by faith that we receive the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the same Spirit that spoke the world into being and rose Jesus from the dead, that he himself has been poured into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So they're not just like distant witnesses that you might need to call upon. They're witnesses that we ourselves participate in 
through the church by faith in the sacraments. And what's more, you see that those things, the water, the blood, the spirit, they are meant to be impactful on us, right? They're not merely informative witnesses. They're formative witnesses. They're meant to form us as well to be witnesses of what God is doing, of the truth of the testament of Jesus Christ. For baptism and the cleansing waters of God are meant to make us live purely. The blood of God that atones for our sins is make, meant to make us sacrificial and forgiving and ready for him. The Spirit of God is meant to bring forth fruit that bears witness, right? Bear fruit, bear witness. You judge a tree by its fruit. <laughs> he has given us a new spirit. So we ourselves are to become witnesses of the truth of this testament. But that, of course, matters upon how you receive it. So to have a last will and testament, you not only have to have the testator and his inheritance, right, and the actual testament, and you have to have the witnesses, but then you have to, you have to receive it. You have to receive it. And so that's how we're going to conclude here is we need to examine our reception. John talks about only two ways that you can receive this testament. And somewhat surprisingly, it's not yes or no. It's not you could take it or leave it. It's not you're the first choice and then we can move on and we'll just go to the second choice if you don't take it. You can receive it or you can make God thank you. You can make God a liar. That's what John wrote here. You can have what he's giving or you can make him a liar. That feels a bit more weighty of a set of choices. So let's look at that. We'll start with the first one. You can make God a liar. That would be the necessary consequence of an action. If I'm sitting trying to convey to you the testament, you have an inheritance. I'm trying to give it to you, right? Now, you could ask questions, or eventually, if you keep putting this off like, no, I don't think so, no, I don't think so, no, 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 no. Essentially, what you eventually have to do is say that I must be lying. No, I couldn't possibly be receiving that. I don't know who that person is. You must be telling me a lie because I don't know this, or I don't have that, or I don't trust it. And now it's one thing to get an email from a Nigerian prince who says that he has $6 million for you, you just have to give him his bank account number, right? It's one thing to call that person a liar because, well, they're lying, okay? I mean, who, maybe there's one email out there that's true. I don't know. It's floating around. But as far as I know, they're all lies. Don't, please don't respond with your bank account information to that person. It's one thing to call a liar a liar. It's another thing to call someone who's telling the truth a liar. It's another thing to call someone who is trying to convey to you something that is true for your own good, 
called them to their face a liar. See, what John is saying here is disbelief is a diss to God. To disbelieve him is to diss him. It is to say that you are not true. Your promises are not true. Eternal life is not true. You do not exist. You do not love me. You do not have these intentions for me. You will not give what you ask for. To disbelieve him is to call him a liar, and it's grievous because he's not a liar. God is true. The words that he says are true. What he promises to come to pass will come to pass. That we do not always understand it. That we wait for it. That we wonder and we doubt and we suffer. Well, one, those are all things that he promised. But please don't let that make you call God a liar. Trust him. Come and see where he is going, and he will show you the truthfulness of his promises. He will bear truth through you. But this invitation is not only to those who don't believe God. I'm speaking to a crowd. I look, many of you who I know profess Jesus Christ. And so there could be a temptation to say like, oh, yeah, I'm glad I'm not in that camp. The issue is that we can make people a liar not only by disbelieving them. How else can you make someone a liar? How else can you make someone out to be a liar? Well, an example could be this. If I went around taking my children, right, and I was advertising, for example, that like, I was the greatest musical teacher ever, and they all are proficient in any instrument you could give them. And I'm going to take them around, and you should pay me a bunch of money, and you're going to see this amazing show where this three-year-old playing in the dirt over there is going to like serenade you more than you could ever have imagined, right? Now, if we got there and they didn't know how to play any instruments, well, it's because I was lying, okay, right? But say they were older, you're part of something, and you're going around on tour to sing or to perform. You're being advertised as like the new phenom. But you're out all night partying. You're drunk. You're hungover. You're angry. You're resentful. Your, your voice sounds terrible. And you just get on stage and like you can't sing and you don't care. You've made the people who were advertising you out to be liars. Not because you can't sing, but because you made choices that misrepresent you. Some of you are in business. You might have a great product, right? You might have the right algorithm to solve something. You might have the right consultants to make something work. If you send a representative from your firm and they show up and insult the potential client, they have not done their research. They do not know what they are talking about. 
They are more obsessed with their phone or flirting with the secretary or saying something else that they are not representing you. It does not matter that you actually have a great product. That client is not going to receive you, are they? Because they have misrepresented you. And though you actually could deliver, you have been made out to be a liar because of the actions of the person that you have appointed. Where I'm going with this is this. You are, in Jesus Christ, also called to be witnesses. When you do not obey Jesus, you misrepresent him and make him out to be a liar. When we are more concerned with our own status than his, when we are more concerned about our rights than his righteousness, when we are more concerned about our wants than his will, people see us and they think God must be a liar. How often through history have people maybe encountered the scriptures? I can remember the story of Gandhi doing this. He encounters the scriptures. I like your Jesus. I don't like your Christians. Now, we could sit and like poo-poo him, right? Like, oh, it's just him being legalistic or something, right? Or he doesn't understand. He's not a believer. Whatever valid criticisms, I want to encourage you to maybe listen to the people who give that voice. If the church acts in such a way in which the world around you sees a great dissonance between it and the Jesus that they would encounter in the scriptures, you are misrepresenting God and making him out to be a liar. When we do not love as he commands us, we make him out to be a liar because he promises that I'm bringing my love. If he promises that I have a people who are freed from worldly possessions, who are freed from the fear of death, who are freed to have joy in suffering. And yet we're just anxious and self-consumed, self-focused, dismissive, vitriolic. We spend our time spewing all sorts of nonsense and insults against the world around us on the internet. What are people going to think? If God promised a people full of love, he sure must be lying. Brothers and sisters, let us not make God out to be a liar. Let us examine ourselves. Let the witnesses of the water and the blood and the Spirit, our baptism, our atoning sacrifice through Christ, the Spirit that's been given to us, really conform us to His will. Free us from our anxieties and our allegiances in this world and instead live to show him forth. Some of that could sound really harsh. And it is really harsh. But God has promised, also through Jesus Christ, that he has not brought us to him to punish us, but to discipline us. Every discipline at the moment, as the writer of Hebrews says, seems unpleasant. 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. As it were, preparing a child to receive the inheritance. Tony prayed that earlier. Like a father who rebukes his children who have been disobedient or misrepresented him. He says, come over here, baby. I know daddy got angry about that, didn't he? But you know that I love you? I'm calling you out on this because I want good things for you. I, in fact, have good things for you. And I want to build you up to receive them. See, God's not saying that if you just misrepresent me one time, you're done with. No, we believe in the preservation of the saints. He's called you into his eternal inheritance. He's called you to be sons and daughters to receive him. He will make sure that you get what he promises to give. It may at times come by calling you out. Let judgment begin with the household of God. But let blessing and abundant joy in eternal inheritance also begin with the household of God. So let us turn from disbelief and disobedience instead to believe the testament of Jesus. That he is eternal life. That if you have him, you have eternal life even now. Abundant life, free life, hopeful life, overcoming life. That we can practice that now rooted and secured in his foundation. That is what it is to believe him. It is to trust him. It is to acknowledge he is the real will. The real testament. The real inheritance. I can forsake all things. Because I know that that inheritance is coming. He holds us fast. So let us hold him fast. And trust him. I want to leave us with this word from Peter. That I think well summarizes this exhortation. This is the beginning of 1 Peter. who himself is not one to stranger to being rebuked by Jesus and comforted by Jesus all at the same time, right? Okay. Who himself denied Jesus and yet was brought back to Jesus. He knows what it is to disbelieve and believe, to be disobedient and obedient. He knows what it is to make God seem like a liar when he said, no, I don't, I don't know Jesus. And yet to see him be true when he saw him rose from the dead. And he writes this with confidence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being guarded by God's own power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last day. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you are grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, though you do not now see him. You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is the inheritance of eternal life. Let us believe the testament that's been given to us. Amen? Amen. As I pray, I invite the music team to come back up. And Lord, would you move our hearts not to make you a liar, but to show you as true. Manifest your truth in us. And may we even now taste your inheritance. Banish every thought that would keep us away from you. And instead, let the water the blood and the spirit testify to us and through us daily that you are good and you are eternal life. We praise you and continue to worship you now through Jesus Christ. Amen.